0: At its 2013 Emerging Artists' Symposium on Musicals, SDCF hosted Tony-nominated Dan Knechtges in conversation with producing director Ellen Rosconi on his experiences directing and choreographing new musicals. From his theater experiences while growing up in Cleveland to his transition from performer to director-choreographer, this discussion examines Dan's process of learning to create musical theater and starting a career Peppered with a dash of humor, sentiment, and survival jobs. The conversation explores key tactics when working with stage managers and writers, time management when developing a new work, and elevating taste in the most unlikely yet scrumptious ways. Hello, I'm director and fight choreographer Erica Gould, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation, and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast.
1: Okay, so we're here. It's May twentieth, two thousand thirteen, at the SDCF Emerging Artists Symposium for Musicals. We're at MTC Rehearsal Studios in New York, and we're here with Dan Connecticut. Hi. So, Dan, we have your bio, but tell us about your illustrious mm-hmm. career.
2: As far as new musicals. As go? far as
1: everything goes. Oh <laughs>
2: well. Um, I don't. It's not all that interesting. I mean, I my story was like. Um, Wayne Salento's character in Chorus Line, Mike, where literally my sister danced. She's two years younger than me, and I, because I was really bossy, I told my parents, I was like, oh, I can do that, and they took me, and my brother was like, I hate this. I don't want to go, and so my dad would take my brother, because my parents didn't have a lot of money, you know, at the beginning of our childhood, and so we, um, she they my mother took me to watch my sister, and I kept saying, "Oh I can do that, I can do that and my sister would give me lessons in the basement and then my um i find I finally convinced my parents to let me and I have great parents and they said well you can do it but you realize you might get made fun of in school and you have to be able to deal with that and I was like I don't care I'm going to do it and besides the fact that I would beat up people if they (laughs) and which I have to say I was I'm not the best candidate for like being super nice to people because I was pretty violent with some people I I beat them up because I I just don't I'm not a victim so anyway so I took dance and I started with tap because that was masculine and so so I did that and I did jazz and our tap teacher it was Miss Stevens' dance studio. Miss Stevens' daughter, Kathy, was one of the original Peggy Sawyers on Broadway in 42nd Street. That's how long ago this was. And um, she... Our second tap year of tap, our second recital, was the opening of 42nd Street. <laughs> which is insane. It's like, you're doing... Very difficult. It's very technical, old school tap, and I have to say, you know, everybody, we were all like, "We'll never be able to do this." And sure enough, because she was a Nazi, <laughs> we got it and learned it. And I have to say, it was such great training for me. And I was like, "What is this musical?" I think I was like ten or something. Maybe maybe I was younger than that, eight. And where were you growing up? Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I got out. <laughs>
3: um,
2: but, uh, so, anyways, that's sort of where, uh, that was like my first exposure to musicals. And then I, my sister and I made our parents get us Broadway series tickets, you know, for the touring Broadway shows in downtown Cleveland. Which, um, so I saw every musical and everything and I was never in them until high school and then I was I choreographed them I was in them and I think when I choreographed like it never occurred to me that you watch the movie and copy that stuff I always came up with my own things and like my I have a friend who is still a very close friend from high school who lives here now and was in this production of Brigadoon where I was in the chorus and I did this ribbon ballet for who's the lead character Fiona yeah. Yeah. is that her name I can't remember I can't um and she was like a ribbon seller in the first thing and I was like well we'll have ribbons come out of this thing and and I was just I always tried to think I don't know not outside of the bo- I always thought outside of the box, or maybe in the box. I don't know well, how you, you just would.
1: Know there was a box, I didn't
2: know there was a box.
3: I didn't
2: know there was a box. That was that was a B. Arthur over it. Uh, um, and so I, uh, I th- and you know what I think that is a real har- hallmark to my success. And when I find directors or other designers that I work with, they think very similarly. We don't always have the same taste, and I think that's key too, but we always think of no box, you know, definitely at the beginning, and I find that that's so helpful on new, specifically new musicals. But, like, I just got done doing Guys and Dolls, and we treated it like a new musical and it worked like gangbusters i mean that show is so good that if you respect it in the right way and you really treat it of like well what are they really saying here and you know pretending the audience is hearing these songs and these scenes for the first time then i think you unlock something that every you know polka dot players production misses in a way you know if you don't explore that so anyways that's sort of um my uh how i sort of got started but i i um i danced and choreographed all my high school musicals and um i i went to college at otterbein college which is a small school in um columbus ohio and it was very far away, two hours by car from where I grew up. So I was really scared to go that far. But um, I, uh, I got an acting scholarship and a voice scholarship. I did not get a dance scholarship. And then when I got there, the dance teacher was... Chet actually knows her because uh, my dance teacher was... Uh, an original member of the American Dance Machine, which is now defunct, but I guess they're trying to bring it back in some form. But she also was in Dancing on Broadway and did a lot of you know, tours and everything. And she saw me and she was like, you are my project, and sort of picked me out. And then I was like, you know what? I should be choreographing some things. And so I just would choreograph things and created my own opportunities at school and she was like you're really good let me take you under my wing and her whole family is there but um, her her sister, all of her sisters danced and incidentally if anyone's looking for a job, her sister Martha runs the Brooklyn Aquarium Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn and so I had all of these ties to New York that sort of helped me like get here and her brother-in-law was John Devlin and he ran a dance studio here in New York and they said oh this is how you set your schedule up when you go to New York you should do this, this, this and I did that for a whole year my first year in New York and I lived on like peanut butter and jelly and I got really thin which was great and I was taking like three dance classes a day and working at night at the Gap which was on 57th um, between Eighth and Broadway. Oh yeah. It's now right. closed. Which now you know you've been in New York so long that those things close. But um, and that sort of I I auditioned for a long time. I shouldn't say a long time, like a year. But it was like. <laughs> <laughs> But it, you Don't
3: can t- <laughs> you can tell
2: you can tell what side of the table I prefer to be on because that felt like forever, because in those years, I mean some of you might know this, but in those years it was like Smoky Joe's Cafe you auditioned for and that's it. That those that was the only Broadway show, and I'm the wrong color.
1: <laughs> or and cast sizes were so small. So and small, so and small.
2: I got. Um, the second day i was in new york i got i went to a crazy for you it was like the end of the crazy for you run and it was like the last six months but they needed a replacement and i went in i made it all the way to the end and it was me and i'm very tall and two guys who are like by four and susan stroman was so nice and she we you know you get done doing the combo and she said uh you're not getting this but you're really good and I started crying because I was young and I, want, I was like it's my second day I'm going to get a Broadway show and it didn't happen and you know I always knew that I didn't really want to perform anyways I always wanted to choreograph and direct partly because I'm bossy but I think the other part is that uh, you know I think I was talking with Ben out there is that it's intellectual in a way that I find so stimulating right and it's the way my mind works. Like, um, I think being funny, you have to be smart to be funny. And I'm really funny. And <laughs> I, I I mean as you as you kind of like meet other people, you're like, Oh, I know what my yeah. my gifts are. I didn't you know, when I first started I didn't. But now as I get older, you, it really becomes clear why certain people become successful and others don't. And sometimes it's just luck. And very you're,
1: rarely, though.
2: Very rarely, because once the luck happens, you do have to have yeah. talent to back it up. I mean, my, my thing is um, I had this. This is a really great story, and I'm, I think it, I tell everybody this when they're like, oh, how did you... How did you get your break? And I, um, I had a breakdown, or I called it my breakdown, which really wasn't a breakdown. But I, you know, I was being dramatic and crying to my parents who were in visiting me in town in 2004 in January, and I was in a lot of debt, three thousand dollars, which I was like, I know people who have hundreds oh of thousands God. of dollars, and I was stressing over this. I made it. How many years? Ten years in New York with. $3,000 debt, which I was like, wow, that's, now I look back and I'm like, God, that was pretty good, 3000 now I'd take 3000 But anyways, <laughs> um, and I had this huge breakdown because I was unhappy in my love life, I was unhappy in my career, I felt like it was going nowhere, and I had been a paralegal for a little while to make some money, and my dad was like, you know, you need to get a 9-to-5 job and get you know, make yourself feel good while you're constantly pursuing those other things because I was just picking up jobs here and there and living very basically. And so I did that and uh, two weeks after I got another paralegal job at a law office, and I was taking like 60 hours a week just to try and make money, and I, was, I started a new workout regimen. Like, I did all of these things to get healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy. And I got a call from uh, this woman, Donna Harrell, who was uh, uh, this assistant on... Ben, were you at Joseph? Yeah. yeah, you know Donna. Okay, so Donna Harrell, I, I choreographed in 2001 this production of Joseph at the Hangar Theater, and the Drama League director, who is the assistant to Kevin Moriarty, was Donna Harrell. And we became friends, not like super close, but we became friends and saw each other all the time in the city. She had recently become the associate uh, artistic director at Barrington Stage Company, and she said, we're doing this workshop of this musical called Spelling Bee, and I've convinced them that you're the right choreographer, but we can't pay you. And I said, I can't leave my paralegal job. I just got healthy. (laughs) And Donna was like...
3: Plus, I
1: have $3,000 in debt." I know, and Donna was like...
2: Dan, you are insane. You're coming up to do this. You have to do this. I was like, Well let me talk to them and I almost said no. And the the people at the law office said, Yeah, we'll let you go for a day. And so I went up on a Friday and Bill Finn said and he'll probably deny he said this, but he told Donna that I could only choreograph two numbers because they didn't he didn't know me. So I choreographed Pandemonium and Magic Foot, which I would say like 80% of that of what I did in one day is still what's in, what was in the show and I did those two numbers and I left and I got a call the next day from Bill Finn saying Dan it's Bill and could you come up and do the rest of the show and I was like well I'm going on a long weekend to Palm Springs and I got I, I'm not working that day and he was like you're fucking insane You've got to come up here and do this. And I was like, well, can somebody drive me to the airport? I was like, I can give you three days. And they weren't paying me, really. And so Donna said, if you get up here, I'll drive you to the airport from (laughs) rehearsal in Newark and all of this. So I went up. I did the rest of the numbers. I didn't see the workshop. And I got a call two weeks later saying that they were letting the director go but they were keeping me and would I be free to interview directors with Bill and Donna for the summer production, (laughs) which I was like, this is so backwards. (laughs) Okay. And I didn't think anything of the show. I really didn't except to say that like, oh, this is really different. (laughs) And, so we interviewed directors, they hired this guy, which I, you know, some people might know who it is, but I don't want to say because I'm still friends with him. And there was, you know, it didn't go well in rehearsals, and I sort of ran interference, and there was, I don't know how much I should say, but anyways, I ended up doing a lot of stuff up there, and once that production was a hit you know they of court bill of course wanted james to direct it here and so he told james lepine that he had to hire me which i found out in retrospect james said no i'm going to interview and he interviewed a bunch of people including me and this is a great thing for people who are going into these interviews and stuff because i don't think you can do it enough and I have to say, I can't do it enough because I continually, like, I went on four interviews already in the past month. I didn't get any of them. And it, I think those skills that you use in interviews, you can't ever get enough of that. But anyways, um, and someone should ask me that question, what those skills are. But anyways, James, <laughs> James asked me some, you know, the very first thing he said is he says, I hate dancing. What can you do for me? And I was like, oh. And I said something really smart ass back to him, which kind of took him back. But I think he liked it because I had a sense of humor and I didn't take it so serious. And then he said, You had one good idea in this number in Pandemonium about getting the audience up and involved and in the number and kind of terrorizing him. But I think you could go farther tell me how you would do that and so I pitched something and I said oh well we could do this and we could really make them dance and move and I said "But the cast resisted me on that and then when they finally gave in it was too late for me to go back and he was like we'll get them to do that on this and I didn't hear anything for two weeks and then I got the call and saying no we'd like you to to do it and that really made my career because I yeah. skipped. I had no off-Broadway credits, none. No, no New York credits, really. I did two observerships
3: yep. through
2: the foundation. That's really how I got my my New York connections. And I got my agent. I got John Bazzetti, who was not really a super high agent at that point. But then he but took he me now. with... Yeah. He is now, and he took me with him. And... Um, you know, that's sort of how I made my career. And, you know, just because of that, I kept getting asked to do new musicals. Oh, there was a... there was you
1: a also worked with James LePine. Uh, several
2: hours. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So that relationship wound up being...
2: Yeah, and we um, we hang out. We go out for lunch occasionally. And, you know, I... He has recommended me for so many things. Like, I've gotten so many Broadway gigs because of him. Because, you know, everybody knows James. And, like, Chris Ashley called James about Xanadu. Do you like Dan? Yeah. Um, uh, You know, and various other jobs too you know the word it is such a small community not just the Broadway community but theater in general yeah. that you can't um, you have to know what bridges you're burning and yeah. know why and realize that that's done if you do that
1: right and you have also have to remember that somebody like like John Bozzetti is a good example. He didn't start at the top. So you have to be nice.
2: Well, and coincidentally, I mean, I think part of my, if, if, you know, I analyzed my career, I think part of my, I don't want to say problems, but part of my, the crux of my problems is I skipped so many development steps. Like, I didn't do good speed. I didn't do the regional circuit as much. I did do a ton of summer stock, but like those to- those like Tony Award winning theaters out there, uh, I didn't do until af- I had to backfill a lot of that in, and I'm continually still doing that. Um, one thing that I did do before, well, two things that I think in terms of new musicals kind of help form me and how to work on new musicals is one is I directed and choreographed the Princeton Triangle Club shows which are like the hasty pudding of Harvard but they're at Princeton and it's, um, I'm sorry if any of those writers are here so I hope they're not here but it's really bad writing that you have to gild a turd if, if you know what I mean <laughs> and make make it You know, in the end that's what you're doing, but in the development process, you're trying to get those writers to write something to elevate the writing while you're also trying to put together the show. Put together the show and also make those numbers good. And they do they have this alumni alumni show and two of my numbers they still do from like the early two thousands. And the second year that I did it, the liaison between the professional and the, the board of the Triangle Club was Lewis Flynn, who is Douglas Carter Bean's partner. Yeah. And they came in while I was staging this number called Latvia, which is a whole other McGillicuddy, but it was celebrating Latvia. And we had flags going, it was like a big production Let's number. The <laughs> well, I was a champion baton twirler too.
3: Well, see, okay.
1: So,
2: I, any of that kind of stuff, I, that pageantry kind of showbiz stuff, I kind of it's a weak spot for me. But so I did that and Doug came and saw that and he would, he, he also when Chris said, "Oh, I think I'm going to hire this guy to choreograph the workshop of Xanadu." Doug was like, "I know him. He did this great number at Triangle and the first day of rehearsal Doug came up to me and said I loved that number so much it was so funny. Wow. So you never know also when like that was in 2002 and then the Xanadu workshop was 2007 mm-hmm. January of 2007 we opened in July of 2007 I think. I mean, that's a long time yeah. for that to pay off. But you're planting seeds, in other words, in terms of, like, that career stuff. I know I'm not talking so much about new musicals, but no, okay. more no, about career.
1: And, and those things, it ta- I think, career. In general, career, like, it takes a long time. It takes. It, it doesn't happen in, you know, something, something from January doesn't translate to a result in, in March.
2: But I thrived on that sort of not-knowing puzzle, Oh, yeah? Really? Well, not knowing so much about, like, if I got the job or not, but, like, working on new material, it's, like, you don't know what the end result is going to be. When you do, like, luck be a lady, you know what the end result is going to be. You're like, you can't really change the music. I mean, it was great before. But say you're doing a number about Latvia. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, well, where can we go from there? How ethnic can we be? Is it funny if we make it a disco thing and slap that on to this? What's the story? How do we focus this? It's all of those variables that I love. To me, that kind of puzzle is intellectually stimulating it scares a lot of people I know it does because I've directed and with other choreographers working and especially choreographers tend to be fixed in their way of thinking and want those things and I tend to be a little more fluid until you can't be anymore until you're forced to make a certain choice like I know um People talk about working with Jerry Robbins and he had the A version, the B version, the C version, the D version, the E version, the F version, which Lapine does too. Like when we did Pandemonium, I had a whole version choreographed that I did in the summer production, worked like Gangbusters. And the very first rehearsal, I put that up. I said, that's where we'll start. He was like, great. And then he came in and he goes, great job. Now, let's throw it all out. Which... I was like, okay. And something, I didn't scream and yell, and I just kind of went with it. And he took it all apart and put his own stuff in, and then he said, okay, now you do something else with it. And so I did another version, and then he did another version, then I did, and we passed it back and forth. And... In the end, after doing twenty different versions of it, some were just minor changes, some were global, huge changes with like a drum percussion break that got cut, which was so bad and Bill Finn was screaming at him the whole time but <laughs> but but you know you've got to i think yeah, you the, be
1: able to try think. yeah,
2: and you know what it res some it's still in that number somewhere I see it, and I think being able to do that and not worry about is everybody singing the notes correctly is everybody doing you know the step correctly right away I think people get too worried about that too soon instead of like but I
1: hear that I hear that patterning is where you feel like you have your how did you hear that From the final report
2: (laughs) that is a big big I am I love that.
1: So can you explain this to people a little bit? I mean, we yeah. probably know what this is, but let's hear it from you anyway. It's like,
2: um, oh, if we had a dry we erase for... We do, four. we do, we do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. does this one work?
1: I don't, probably, yes.
2: Well, it's like, um, I did this at a certain point in Lucky Be a Lady. And I did this in pre-production. And I had girls playing boys in this because... It was small cast and it actually works great because in the sewer it's dark and the girls, they looked hoodie and it was kind of fun. So I circle, use circles for girls. And the motion was this. It would come down stage and then I'd write measure number, this is what happens. And then I would write, um, God, I think. I forget who the lead of the wedge was, but then I use initials for their names, um, here. And then when you go in rehearsal and you put this up and you're like, oh, well, this should actually move here and here while this goes here and here. You know, it's like you kind of like, I, I, I start somewhere, but then I throw it out once you see it on stage. But sometimes you develop these patterns that are through this. I can like create some. It makes me have order that I can then go away from.
1: But that's your starting point. That's why I was I why I brought it up because if you're if you're talking about your fluidity in the room, you can't be very you can't be married to this. Oh no! Throw it like, out.
2: Yeah. No. Just have it in case you get. In case you don't come up with an idea, in case you're dry, which happens to all of us. I mean, I always say in the rehearsal room, you get one good idea a day, and once you have done with that idea, you're done for the day. Just check out, mentally. Well, it's true, because if you have 20 days of rehearsal and there are 20 people in the room and everybody has one good idea a day... Yeah. How many productions have you seen where there, ha- there wasn't even one good idea? <laughs> I'm a Tony Award voter now And I've seen a lot of shows this season That didn't have one good idea And you're like Come on But um Anyway so I I, I think if you If you have something to start with And then throw it out Like And I don't mean necessarily throw it out But don't right, right, right. Just have it there Because it'll resonate it. Yeah. It'll resonate And that's a place to go Um but I love this, because then you start seeing ways to morph it. And, you know, the other thing of doing this, like, in summer stock, I would do all of this, because you have no time. And so it's better to, you know, to start from that. But And I do it um, direct, I don't really do it directing so much, but I do it with sets when I direct, because musicals, when you direct
1: with a scenic designer when you direct so you go through this with a scenic designer where things where pieces are moving and yeah
2: things. and I do it in the room I make sure that all of the transitions in the room because I think directing musicals is some would say I mean Des McEnough, who I think would say it's all about transitions
1: Robin Goodman said yes. something similar some, too yeah. yeah and
2: he's a master at it master
1: yeah, and you can see that in Jersey Boys I mean it's
2: fabulous Fabulous. Yeah. Dracula, which was a piece of poo. Yeah. The transitions yeah. <laughs> stunning. <laughs> I mean, not Des's fault. Not Des's fault at you know,
1: all. So everybody needs to be allowed to have a failure. I mean, we have this You situation. have
2: more. I have more failures than successes.
1: And we have this issue with directors and choreographers, I would be like, where you're not allowed to fail. Everybody then is like, oh, see, he's no good. And then
2: well, and you have to jealous. give your per- yourself permission to fail, which I do all the time, which yeah, I, I, I also did. think is a key thing James Lapine, another one he fails more than he succeeds I think he would say but it's because he gives himself permission to yeah. and when he, he is such a fine director I think yeah. I've learned so much from him on, on that process of developing new works Like he really says exactly what he thinks no sugarcoating um, does I mean, he
1: say it to the actors, or does he say it to his? He does
2: say it to the actors, really. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: so, children. No. <laughs> I don't
2: know. I didn't. We didn't have kids <laughs> right, on our right, shows, right, but um, he does. And I think, especially your collaborators, is really where you really have to say yeah. it, because that's where your your um, gold is on, especially on new musicals. Because, in some ways, it's like us against the world, like. Doug Bean and um, Lewis on Lysistrata Jones, we had there were no holds barred. And we had screaming fights with each other, never about the talent between all of us, but about certain moments all behind closed doors. And um, I think, you know, regardless of whether the show was a commercial hit or not, I felt it was an artistic hit. Oh, I loved... I loved the show. I was very proud of it, and I think part of that was our relationship. Um, and with the designers, there were no issues with any of the designers. And I, you know, I sort of said, you know, ceiling Mike Canestraro and I were talking about this about another show, and I said, you know, there's going to be no arguments, not on my watch. And we are going. The only ego is the show's ego.
1: But you had arguments on Lissa Strata Jones.
2: Behind closed doors, and okay. it was just us three.
1: So it's not.
2: It's m- like mom and dad arguments, you know? It's not like you're so untalented, and, <laughs> you know, it's like we need a moment where Lissa Strata says this to this and they're like we have that moment you have not directed it correctly and i was like no we don't have this moment because everybody is telling me this and it needs to go like this. Well, if I write it like this, you have to stage it correctly, and da da, da. And I was like, yes, I can do that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like where you'll compromise. Right. And then I was like, and we have to cut out these three pages, and it's because of this reason. I've been telling you that since Dallas, and, you know, all of this. And it's like you have to hammer at at those things. And I, I don't know, I just felt like we because we had no walls up between us. And we still don't. Doug and I still don't. We, you know, we say what we think to each other in a in a great way. Like, I vacation with them and all of that. Um, you know, the other thing that I was going to say besides Princeton Triangle Club, the other person that I worked with a lot at the Hangar Theater was Kevin Moriarty, who's now the head of Dallas Theater Center. But he is, what I think the most creative and the best dramaturgical sense of any director I've ever worked with or encountered. And and he, especially on new plays, just watching him work, I've done like 20 shows with him and it resonates within me and the way he works with writers is fabulous. And the way he approached this Joseph we did, I still think it's probably the best Joseph I've ever seen. I mean, we didn't have a big budget or anything. But the ideas behind, what a dumb show, that he made... I'm serious. He made religious, and he made it mean something. There was no, like, cowboy hats coming in, or berets. It was... (laughs) I mean, it was it was so meaningful. Yet it was still fun and funny. But, like, audiences were really moved at the end.
1: So what's something that you took from him on how you work with writers that everybody in this room would benefit from, from knowing?
2: Well, he, incidentally, when we took Liz Estrada Jones to Dallas, it was called Give It Up. When we were working on Give It Up, there were meetings where... Um, Kevin would pull me aside and there are no holds barred. And he would say, you have to get them to write something like this. (laughs) This doesn't work this way. And he's very dramatic. And, um, you know, and if I had to know him, he would, I, I think I would be offended by the way he was talking to me. But because we have such a great relationship, I guess what I'm saying is I think relationships on how you talk to people is really one of the most key things. I think it's something... You mean
1: knowing what your relationship is and taking that into account in the way that you're And
2: how to communicate. Yeah. Like I, I self-deprecate all the time when I'm getting to know people. Like I fall on my sword. Like Again, I, the real
1: you comes out, right? With it. No, kidding.
2: No, it's true. No,
1: no, that's kidding.
2: I'm, <laughs> I disguise who with a real me. <laughs> no, I do in a way. I, I try to always be me, but. I do disguise a little bit. I self-deprecate and say, "Listen, this is the worst idea in the world, but and nobody would want to do this, but what if we got the this audience member up and did, you know, this and this and 9 times out of 10 it disarms somebody because there is this whole thing about writers are creative and we as directors and choreographers are interpreters. <laughs> Okay, yes. But we are also creators as well. And especially on musicals, there it's a dictatorship in a way that is necessary because there are so many parts whereas, you know, on the plays that I've directed and new plays that I'm developing, it's much more
1: it's a much smaller room. It's a much
2: smaller room, and it's much um, the the relationship and the the back and forth is so. Uh, it's less about applause yeah. points and yeah, yeah. this. Like you can take a step away from that in a way that's harder on musicals, especially commercial musicals. Correct. Like *Lucia Strada Jones*, we were making applause points. A story point. And you don't really talk about that in play so much as you talk about the arc of the play. You know, what what is, you know, the cumula- cumulative effect of uh, what this says? How do we get to that point? You know, and
1: And it's one of the reasons why transitions in musicals are so critical. Critical. of the applause points and the story points.
2: And because you have to be so concrete in musicals, it's like those transitions have to be story because sometimes you're not going to be able to tell that story in any other way. Yeah. Plus, I also think now we are much more visual than audiences of yes, old. Yes, yes, And so anytime there's something going on, it has to be interesting to keep the audience stimulated in a way that they're still going to pay Attention.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. But I do think the number one skill that I guess for me and working on new musicals is person, uh, you know, personality and people skills.
3: Yeah.
2: Mike Nichols says uh, he read. Did anyone read that article that was in the New York Times? Maybe six months. Was it six? No, it was last year. Yeah. That was fabulous, and I've stolen that. Um, motto, which he says, when all else fails, seduce, yeah. seduce, seduce. And I'm really good at that. And <laughs> I might not be... I try to be the smartest one in the room, but I, I would be so bored if I was. You know, you you want to work with people who are smarter than you and release that kind of need of, like, I have to be in control. And I think... Once, that, once I let go of that and I could rely on other things like charm, seduction um, manipulating a room how do you control a room is I've worked with you know assistants who don't know how to run a rehearsal room and you're like well I can't use you as an assistant right, right. because that's part and parcel of the job and I've worked with directors who don't know how to run a room and that's, I, it's fascinating to me that they don't know how to not just deal with actors or talk to actors and develop a collegiate sort of rapport with them, but also how to control a stage manager and not control a stage manager but interact I with the with yeah. interact with them and use them so that they are making the room work to its ultimate capacity
1: right which is a really crucial
2: crucial especially on new musicals yeah because they have to be doing all of that detail work i i do detail work eventually but i don't do it right away that's sort of the other thing on new musicals i think that i'm successful at is i don't do i mean this looks like detail stuff and it is i get it but i do that so i can be free right
1: right that's why people do a lot of research yeah. Then you can
2: Yes. I think all of that's so crucial too, you know. It's fun.
1: Can I ask when you yeah, did, yeah. when you thought I mean when you kind of realized that you were a director and how did that come about that you had the chance to direct?
2: Um I directed in high school. I directed a play in high school for a I directed two. I directed a one act and then I directed a full play for our drama club because our our drama teacher was like, "Oh, do you want to do this?" And so I just always thought in those ways. So it's hard for me to go, "Oh, I never wanted to just be a choreographer." I know that I pro- that's probably apocryphal that I'm saying no, that.
1: No, it's what well, it's what a lot of people
2: But I think my choreography always had a director's eye to it. Like I I'm not a steps person. I've never been I'm not interested so much in that. Anyways, I'm always interested in the story and then steps support that story and also in composition, which is what this patterning does. Composition to me is as big a piece of the pie as steps are. Um, You know, where the audience looks is so important as a choreographer and as a director, too. Like, you watch... Those Jerry Robbins numbers, you know, from Jerome Robbins Broadway, you never struggle to know where to look. And I love that. Or a Fosse number, you know, the old Fosse stuff, like um, you know exactly where to look. Or the the person who's actually even better at um, patterning and composition, to me, is Michael Bennett. chorus line you know exactly where to look and in some instances it's not broadcast what you feel but because of the composition you feel a certain way it's a lift it's not the steps there's not one original step in chorus line and i'm that's not putting it down i think that's actually saying how great he is at those things um was and it
1: hard though to convince somebody that you could direct? Like once you once you had your it's a constant
2: as a it's a constant process. But I, I'm directing some plays now that I think you know should it get a, a broader audience, I think that'll help. And yeah. and also I think it'll make me a better director at musicals. Is you learn certain things? It's a it's it's so different. I can't tell you how different. It is. I th- and I know why certain people say there are musical directors and there are play directors, and there are very few people who are good at both. And I know, I, I mean, I, it's hard to tell you the different muscles you right. use, right. but musicals are much more about rhythm than.
1: Yeah, and flow and movement and
2: and how that all contributes to the story yeah. whereas in a play you can get by a little bit without dealing with that but you, what you there's a subtlety to certain kinds of plays that in musicals you're, you're not afforded that opportunity mm. sometimes fortunately you're not <laughs> because sometimes the actors aren't as good yeah. but in plays, you really have to refine that, too. I mean, you know, the one other thing that... I'm, I'm not sure if anybody's going to ask me this, but i someone also told me... Um, and uh, this is a great strength of James Pine, is that he has a very elevated sense of taste. And I think that I have become much better as my tastes have evolved. Yeah. And how do you do that? I mean, for me, it was seeing tons of theater, tons of non-theater. I would go to, I still go for a composition. Um, Kevin Moriarty used to teach at Brown, and he taught one whole semester on balancing for composition, which all of you who want to be directors, City Ballet is going on right now, and... A lot of people find balancing boring, but if you get a ten dollar ticket and you sit way high up in the balcony and you're not seeing faces and you're looking at composition, you will have an education that is unbelievable, in my opinion. And same thing with the Robin stuff there. The composition is incredible. And So I started to develop those things. I would go to the Joyce all the time to see all the avant-garde stuff, which was a chore. A chore. But I saw one thing that I'm dying to steal and put in a show is this, it was a mattress dance where they, they jumped on this mattress and jumped off and was dancing on it and moved it all around. And I'm like, I'm stealing that. And it's back here waiting for that moment that you go on a new musical. Well, what about this? What if we did something like this? So developing that sense of taste, eating great food, finding great food, I think, traveling, and museums. You know, he also taught this whole course on art. He didn't teach it, but he um, made all of his directors do a whole course in depth of art history for composition. Wow how to look at a painting, why they compose paintings a certain way. And I find that boring, but I forced myself to go to the Met. It's free. Mm-hmm. You'd go there and you look at those paintings and figure out why great art is great. And you don't need to like it. That's the other thing right, that,
1: that's absolutely true. that
2: <laughs> you don't. Because if everybody liked it, then we would not be creative artists. But you have to figure out why it is, why some people think it's great, and then why you don't or do, right. which could be different. The other thing I did is I bought, I tell everybody this, now I'm going to let out all my secrets, is that I bought a long time ago this DVD collection, when people still bought DVDs, um, of, it's called the Slap Happy Collection, and it's a silent screen comedies, and it's like 25 oh. DVDs, and it has i that is the gift that keeps giving because i i i shouldn't say i steal i like real i use it as inspiration for so many things and i just did the, you know guys and dolls and this havana sequence got rave reviews but part of it was like a buster keaton scene like Sarah got up onto the bar and was shaking a martini and doing, like, all of this fun stuff. She would fall off, take off Carmen Miranda's hat, put it on, took off bananas, and use them as maracas. And, like, I stole all that from Slap Happy and many other things, and it, it like, elevated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, how do you use what you're... yeah. Doing to contribute. But developing your sense of taste and elevate, I, I would say, elevating your sense of taste is going to make you a, a great collaborator. That's the other thing that I'm really good at, too, is taking someone's idea and making it better. Not always coming up with the idea. Right,
3: right,
1: right. But supporting it and, and elevating it. Well, and it also sounds like you know how you, you seem, you learn. It strikes me how much you seem to learn visually and you you recognize that you're, that in yourself and so that's how you seek to further your education is is by watching these things and, and thinking about them whether
2: you're or not and reading i I'm um, in a book club that you know we read books <laughs> <laughs> but no um and we we've read you know and I was an English minor in college too so I read well, I, that was a kind of a joke because I got a five on the AP English test and all I had to do was take two courses and write a dissertation. So I, it's kind of a joke that I really... So you did, yeah. But I, I've, I've read all of the classics and I'm informed. I have informed opinions about them. I don't like French authors. I love the Russians and I love the Brits. Why do I think that? Because... Well, I don't want to get into that because that I'll start arguments. But I love that the Russians and the Brits are, have a s- sharp social commentary, and I love that in art. Yeah. And the French don't. They <laughs> might, I mean, Hugo is the exception in my opinion. But um. So, but anyways.
1: So who has questions for Dan? We've talked longer than we expected. Hi, to Jonathan. You're
3: fascinating. How are you? Just sort of reminding you of the interview series.
2: I think you should. But the way you do it is crucial. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, I've been on... I've never really interviewed until this year for directing positions and I interviewed on a new musical that I didn't get, which I should have. I'm actually the right person and the person who got it isn't. <laughs> but and you know another good thing is I'm very stubborn and persistent. I'm a tourist, That goes along with the whole thing. But um, Someone told me you should go in and say three strengths of the piece and then say three points that should be looked at. And I think that's a great way because it's not saying you must fix this or three questions. Hmm, this part I'm not quite sure of. Tell tell me how you got to this part. And if it's a producer and the writers aren't in the room, it can then be a more frank conversation. You can say, tell me what you think of... I like turning it around and getting them to talk first because then you know how to play your hand. And a lot of times I, I run into people who are like, well, I'm not giving any ideas in these interviews because they're my ideas and they're going to steal them. And I was like... Well, good luck, because you know that's that's happened to me several times. On you, you go in and you're like, oh, I actually gave them that idea, but you know you can't. You know when you go in for Disney things, incidentally, you sign away any ideas that come up in the in the interview are Disney's ideas. And so I, and I, you know, someone was like, are you really signing that? I was like, I don't care. Ideas are a dime a dozen for me. I'll come up with a million. And so I, th- I think you should say three, but your three strengths should be like killer. And, or, and, or it could be three strengths with a, and I would do this to make that, Better or go even farther. And then the others I would say three dramaturgical things that are questions or problems. That's what I would do. Now I'm telling you this and I didn't get these jobs.
3: <laughs>
2: so you, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. But I, do, I have to say I think it's smart advice. And you know what? Maybe my ideas weren't good and they were, um, you know, maybe I came on too strong. I don't know.
1: Or maybe they just weren't the same ideas as the producer had, or the writer had. You, you,
2: you know. Well, no, the producers wanted me. The, it was oh. the writer. <laughs> I know, I know. You and you get feedback. That's the other thing, is that I got feedback from that. I went right to because I knew the. It was an institution. I knew the institution really well, and then I knew the commercial. Producers and I asked both of them and they said the exact same thing. They said, We loved you the best, but the writers really responded to someone else. And it had and they loved you too, it just was something with them. But it might have been as I'm looking back and critically analyzing what I did, which is another thing you really have to analyze yourself, is like did I come on too strong? You know, I'll never know. But I—that would be what my gut told me in that interview. I don't know if that answers that.
3: Certainly
2: All right. So when you don't get the job, how long do you hold on to it? Uh, well, I let it go the next day that I didn't find that I found out. Um, but I remember. I don't forget. I forgive, but I don't forget. <laughs> You're, you're, it's a best sign um, <laughs> but I I think you can't forget but the other thing too is those writers are going to have another project and if I become vindictive yeah. number one that does them no good because they'll never want to hire me but number two <laughs> it doesn't do me any good in like some karmic way or also like Then I spend all my energy on that instead of on new projects. I mean, the other thing, too, it's like I sort of feel like I never get anything because somebody calls me up. I have to do everything myself and develop everything. And Strata jones happened because I called Kevin Moriarty. He went down and did it. Happened at the transport group because Doug Bean and I called someone up and it happened that we got a commercial producer because I called my friend Paula to come and do it. It's like I'm making those things happen. And had I spent time on the million of other shows that I didn't get and being like, Why didn't I get this? And then you know you know one good thing that you know, one of Doug Bean's many strengths, I call I say his ego is Teflon. Nothing sticks to it. It like... Off and away. Water off, duck's back. It just... Nothing sticks. And it. I have to say, it, it's Im- so impressive because I had a real... Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, w- one situation where I did a, a workshop of a show and I didn't continue with it, um, partly because the director was fired and partly because they were looking, you know, for in another direction. And it hurt me so bad and paralyzed me really creatively for a while. And um, I learned so much from that that you really you've got to have Teflon. You really do in some way and develop that. And um, the more rejection you get, the easier it is, in some ways. I have more rejection than success, so I'm sure you guys. Am I crazy? No. Am I the only one? No. Okay. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm not like uh, I should. I'm. I should be a little more uplifting than I am. But no, no, I, no, I, no, I would think it's good. true from for other people who work on new true. musicals too. It's like that whole career part of it.
1: I think it's true for most people. I mean, in this, you know, it, do, it isn't true for most people in investment banking, but nobody's in investment banking here. I mean,
3: yeah. It, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know when I was in a, when I was a CPA for Price Waterhouse, nobody was being rejected. But you know, we were CPAs for Price Waterhouse. So, you know. Right.
2: You do your job. And, yeah. And yeah. Home,
0: so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.